Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuler, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. Hey, I'm Benno, your host. Today, talking with Andy Bjork, a captain, former Navy officer for 30 years, both active duty and reserve service, and for the last decade or so, chief sales officer at Ivy Stone, which is a multi-line sales agency in the consumer product segment. Andy and I both volunteer in a trade association. So you're also our resident parliamentarian and board leader at GHTA. And we both uh, happened to graduate from the same wonderful Cornell University, but didn't meet until a couple decades after that. Anyway, Andy, welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast. Benno, it's great to be here. And uh, today is Veterans Day or tomorrow is. So, you know, that's kind of fitting as well. Besides, you know, both of us having studied at this pretty awesome university, uh, we also spent formative years of our career with big organizations before we moved to work with smaller, more mid-sized entrepreneurial firms. You're a retired captain, so you learned in the U.S. military, which is probably one of the biggest and the best funded organizations. One of my alma maters is IKEA, which is big, but not U.S. government big. But so I kind of want to toggle back and forth today between, you know, what big organizations can teach smaller ones and vice versa. Also, what smaller entrepreneurial perspectives can teach all of us. So I want to start with training. You shared a wonderful story the other day where you talked about in the Navy, they let you make scratches in ships what I called seven or eight or nine figure scratches. Talk a little bit about how in the U.S. military uh, you approached training. Yeah, I mean, first, to just to tell the story or repeat the story that we shared the other day, because I, I tell it to my kids. And I remember being a young officer first assigned to a ship, a destroyer. Destroyers are... 8,000 tons, 560 some odd feet long. And one of our opportunities as a young officer were to drive the ship, basically to give the rudder orders and the, and the speed orders and so forth. And we all wanted to do that. And that was exciting. That's what, probably why everybody joined the Navy or one of the main reasons. And the commanding officer would, well, you guys need to step back and wait your turn and watch how I do it. And, and it was, uh, always, you know, sort of that idea of when when does it my turn? When do I when do I get to do this? I've learned I've been to the classroom part, but when do I get to do it? And and at one point, the admiral who was over all the ships sent a memo out to the, all the captains of the ships and made sure everybody that was working, all the officers knew it. That he said, "I want my junior officers to learn how to drive the ship. They're the future of the navy. Let them drive the ships. I don't care if they make a few scratches." And that was uh, quite a telling story. And, and I remember that and I think about that always. And I hopefully I probably retell it too many times, but it does speak to 
a lot of things, you know, big and small organizations about just a little bit about training and hands-on training and the need for uh, also for the continuity of, of people and, and, and skill sets. So at least that's a start on that. You know, it's a great example because it's so sort of exaggerated in the sense of scratches on a multi-million dollar piece of equipment. It's pretty risky, right? And of course, that that probably never happened because while we do drive ships in the Navy in close uh, proximity to other ships, nobody wanted to put a scratch in anything. There was no, that wasn't going to happen. But I think, you know, and when I think of training in the Navy and, and I was part of my time, what became a training specialist to teach other people and, and learn both in the classroom and in ship driving. You know, one of the things we always learned was you learn, everybody learns in different ways. And part of training is sort of being able to read and learn it, book knowledge and read about it and, and to have a training leader explain it verbally and then to be able to be an individual and to watch somebody else do it, you know, observe that what you've learned. But then the third step always is to actually get out and do it and then do it yourself and probably make some mistakes. And, but I think all those elements of training are, are common, whether it's a big organization like the Navy or Ikea or, or a small entrepreneurial organization like Ivy Stone or others, you know, all those people learn in different ways, but they learn through all those processes and all those steps. So that, that's something that I think we've got to remember and find opportunities in, in training and in personal growth to make sure those are all available. What are some training examples sort of looking that you have seen small organizations use well? Yeah, smaller organizations are a little more nimble. They're able to, and I guess I'll use the word experiment, so we can use the concept of experiment to test ideas and to do things with limited concern on results. You know, so it's it, it, big organizations, sometimes everything is driven on an ROI. If we do it, are we going to spend money on it? Are we going to spend time on it? Are we going to get a return on it? Small organizations can be a little more experimental and just throw things to the wind. I mean, that's a part of the concept of being entrepreneurial. You do things without trying to measure an ROI and without trying to measure too much and just see see what happens. So I think that's something that small organizations do better than large organizations um, many times. In large organization, we hear about people, well, to do that, there's a lot of red tape or take a long time. There's a lot of inertia. That can be true. Uh, small organizations can move quicker, try things. Training is sort of a large organization concept sometimes, you know, it's just, let's just go out, use the Nike word let, in a small organization, let's just go do it. So th I think there are some differences there. You had a challenge in developing a person that had not been to a certain type of trade show. We were talking about High Point the other day, High Point Furniture Market. Talk me through the way you saw that challenge of having a person sort of work a trade show that had not worked any trade show or certainly not that trade show before and how you decided to just let them figure it out. I think you guided them. I think you didn't just give them a kick in the butt. No, I think it's the same. It's bringing to life the same story as going out and, and denting ships on the high seas. You know, it's at some point, People are, are trained, they're ready, they've got the skills, they have the, the talent. 
they're willing to do it and then they just need to go do it and and have others step back you know it's uh, kicking your kids out of the house and letting them fly on their own and and that's true in business too there are times when you have to have the confidence and the respect to you know ask people to go do a job that they're trained and skilled to do and just again to step back and have that confidence that it can be done it's a hard thing to do but there's success in that and and there may be failure too but that's all part of the learning training evolution we will never be 100% ready for anything right it'll take us you know we'll we'll be dead before we're 100% ready for anything and i feel like that is one of the things that i love about being an entrepreneur myself and working with other you know small mid-sized companies that there isn't that sort of stifling fear that can be present in big boardrooms, big, you know, Fortune 50 companies. We just have to put one foot in front of the other and accept that we're human and we're not, you know, sometimes we're going to stumble and we just have to keep going. Thinking of another way to look at it, I know going back to the big organization boardroom or whatever, we would think of planning as being a huge element of leadership and and planning and com- would come in three different buckets. It was sort of traditional planning. You know, you're going to plan your fiscal year, you're going to plan, and it's done with some routine and done well. And then uh, the same organization would then have contingency plans laid out for the what if the economy goes bad? What if we have, you know, a weather crisis or a climate crisis? What if UPS goes on strike? You know, there's all kinds of what if for contingency plans that you can think about ahead of time and develop a plan that sits on the shelf and ready to be pulled off the shelf when and if that situation happens. And then there's a third type of planning, which is crisis planning. And that is, you had no idea that it was going to happen. You couldn't have planned for it. And the crisis happens and you kind of just jump into it and it's very fast. And, and uh, you know, big organizations sometimes have the luxury of all that planning and contingency planning and so forth. And small organizations don't always do that. They either don't take the time, their day-to-day battle rhythm, to use a military term, their day-to-day cadence is uh, moves so quickly that it's not that much time to pause and plan. And yet you kind of do need to think about those things because there's some healthy ideas in planning, at least in some limited capacity, even for small companies. Another way of planning is organization building, which I know when you started with, um, with Ivy Stone, you and Doug, the owner-CEO of Ivy Stone, talked a lot about putting processes in place, you know, org charts, communication structures. Talk a little bit about how you did that, again, coming from a big organization and putting structure and order in place of a smaller organization. Small organizations, very small, can run on a committee style. You know, as people come in a room and talk about can imagine that start on a Monday, talk about what we're going to accomplish that week. And on Friday, maybe we gather around a beer in the afternoon and talk about what we accomplished. And, you know, small companies can run with a lot of fun and very healthy on that, you know, kind of way of operating. As the company scales, as it grows, more people are involved and it gets harder to do that as you even get into the number of, let's say you had 20 people in the company or more, and it's harder to gather in small groups and committee style and be effective. There are some large, you know, large company organizational tools that 
start to layer in, it makes sense. One of them is just general organization, sort of divide and conquer. You know, you've set your company up with departments and you break the company back down into smaller groups. Again, you know, using departments or department, somebody's a department leader or, and, and there's a team, you know, there's a team and then there's an organization structure that connects, connects them all together. You know, pretty common concept, but one that a lot of smaller companies have to step into in order to grow. And then figuring out the communication across the different departments. How does that work? You know, so that uh, people aren't confusing each other with what the tasking at hand is. So I, I think there's something there that that we, you know, at Ivy Stone, we we evolved that way. I think that that was a big step for us and other companies too. It's not unique to anything. We didn't do anything unique. It's just a, a natural step in the growth evolution is to bring structure and and you know, how are you going to communicate weekly, monthly, daily? I remember working with a client several years ago by home and gift industry standards, a sizable company, uh, north of a hundred, closer to $200 million revenue business. And I was amazed at how little structure there was and how little sort of formal organizational disciplines and cadences they they utilized but they did a very very good job ceo on down to have a few almost like silly sayings that got them through the day and made them very successful and some of those silly sayings were work hard play hard so they had lots of you know team dinners together and when they traveled together, you know, they definitely celebrated each other. The CEO's, one of his sayings was, "You got, everybody has to do chores. So that meant that everybody had this sort of spirit that, well, yeah, of course, I got to do chores. I saw the CEO doing chores this morning, so I've got to do it. I think those sort of simple cultural guideposts, maybe I, I would call this, work hard, play hard, be happier, be gone, do your chores, I think can be effectively utilized in small organizations to sort of build this spirit, core d'esprit, I think it's called. Do you agree? I definitely think that the concept of a company culture, what the company culture is, is very powerful and very important in the health of a company. I would go and then say that I think the company culture and the company structure are two different things. So, I mean, but a company culture and the company structure could be the same, you know, could flow together. If you have a very flat company structure, you know, the open door policy, walk into the CEO's office and, you know, talk about the football game on the weekend. You know, this, this could be a very healthy dynamic in that as some company structures and, 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 you know, those things go together. And, uh, but there is some part where the, they are different. I mean, there are some efficiencies to structure. You know, their sort of skill sets get siloed and they get organized in different buckets. And people in, within the company, as the company grows, find their niche or their expertise in certain, again, departments, certain areas. Sales goes into one area and accounting goes somewhere else. And, you know, there, maybe there's warehouse or operations somewhere else. And then doesn't mean so those two things can be blended so that the structure that separates the efficiencies the skill sets and 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 the leadership of each of those departments can be blended back together in a good company culture and and sort of whether it's a fun company culture or a very 
as you said, you know, parties or events and, and uh, travel together and things like that. So I, they definitely work together, but I think they're kind of married at the hip company culture and company structure. Are there any universal or maybe guiding principles that you took for granted in your early years in the military that you no longer take for granted, you know, having worked in smaller organizations? Are, are, are there, was there a universal truth that the entrepreneurial world shattered for you? You know, I think there's an idea in the entrepreneurial world that I'm going to do everything by myself. I'm very, you know, I've got, I'm self-structured and I'm, I'm kind of self-motivated and I'm, I'm going to go out and do stuff and I, I have my own direction. And I think that's kind of part of the concept and the definition of being entrepreneurial. Military side would say that doesn't play that well unless you're on some kind of solo mission on some exotic in an exotic movie with a SEAL team, you know, and you're all by yourself. Maybe that's entrepreneurial, but most of the military operates in sort of clear direction and guidance, which I still use today. But everybody's getting some kind of direction and a little bit softer than direction is sort of like tasking and guidance is a little softer. So more like, well, here are some guardrails, but stay within these guardrails and go do it. So I wouldn't say the entrepreneurial world shattered that, but I, there's definitely a blend. There's in the, in the entrepreneurial world, there's less, less direction and more guidance because you got to respect that, that we're, we're hiring entrepreneurs to be in the front, to be out working with customers and, and that's how we see it. And so we don't want to dampen the entrepreneurial spirit by being too directional, if that makes sense. And, and yet I would say there are always people that show up who want to be entrepreneurs, but then appreciate when somebody's giving them some direction. So I, I think that, you know, all of us kind of appreciate it. Somebody please tell me what we're doing here. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm listening to you describe, you know, how from a military perspective, you know, you, you approach training or organizational building. And it takes me back to things that I've learned from mentors, you know, in the early days of my career when I worked for, you know, these, these bigger companies. I'll give you one example. One, he was executive vice president at the time, and I was a buyer at the time. And he had the saying that, you know, we were in meetings and he would ask questions, try to get input from people. And, you know, half the room would not say anything. And, and, and the other half the room would try to say whatever they thought he wanted to hear. And he would get really annoyed. And he would say, guys, Ladies and gentlemen, I am not paying you to keep your opinions to yourself. You're getting paid to bring opinions to work. Please share them with us. I mean, that, that to me is kind of a leadership principle that I think about a lot. And whenever I have, you know, I'm with a client and I see people sort of kowtowing to an authority figure, I bring up that story. I'm like, hey, nobody should kowtow to anybody. You should share your opinions. That's why you're here. Are there any lessons like that, that, that you remember from the early days? You know, the military side of many people's thought process and we, the military hires very young 
you know, inexperienced people and makes and shapes them, you know, young men many times, but young women too, in when they're 17, 18, 19 years old. And those early informative years, uh, that conversation you just had probably doesn't exist. Young men, men and young women, I'd like to hear your ideas. They're probably more like the boot camp world that you might see in a movie or things. And that there's a reason for that, you know, there's, but as in the, on the military side, as people grow in their career, yeah, their expertise, their opinions, that's true. And in, in the military, it's also true in business. So as people develop, all of us develop uh, as individuals, our knowledge base, our personal experience, and that's good leadership, whether it's military or business to extract that from, from the people that, that are working with you, uh, because that's the most valuable part of people. It's not, they're not all, we're not just going to tell people things to do when they go do them and, and come back to, to get the next day's direction that as we grow as, as individuals, we grow as leaders and, and we develop our teams. Yeah. That's a skill that any manager needs to learn and, and a leader needs to learn regardless of where, what company you're in. Any other thoughts on your, on your mind in, in, in terms of things maybe you wish you had known 20 years ago or stuff that you've learned as an entrepreneur? You know, I think one thing that comes to mind is just this idea of developing management and developing leadership and, and the parallel that companies and that are small and, and large like Ikea and, and the military all need to kind of embrace, but do it different ways. It's just, you know, growing your company with the leadership and management that's going to evolve, that makes your company live into the next generation. So sometimes we think of a pure entrepreneurial play as, hey, I, I started something, I started a business, and, and the end game is when I'm done doing it, I'm going to close the doors and I'm going to go walk away. But many times companies grow from entrepreneurial into something beyond whether that's because there's family beyond or it just grows big enough, I'm going to, I'm not going to walk away from this. This is too good a thing. I've got, had a great idea and I've expanded my great idea and I, I want to see it go further. And when you start thinking that way, there needs to be people that come behind you to take it to that next step, that next generation and, and years in the future. And I, I think this is where things like the military and companies like IKEA that have grown you know, they start to have systems and process in place to develop people and, and to do the next, to do the next thing. And I think that's, that's a key, key learning and, and something that uh, we're trying to practice as well as just train the next group of leaders. And if I'm doing my job well, it's, that's my main priority. Number one is to train the person that's going to come after me to do my job when I'm not here and probably to do my job while I am here. Uh, so I can still be here to advise as I step backwards and they step forwards. You know, it takes a lot of forethought to do that. And, and you know, the company itself needs to think about that and, and, and support that. And I guess I've been lucky, you've been lucky that we've been in environments where that's other people in the company support that and say, yeah, that's the right thing. Let's do that. It's what allows people to drive the ship and make dents and scratches. You called growth a retention strategy the other day. I, I thought that was interesting. Why did you call growth a retention strategy? 
Yeah, I did say that. I, I think, again, yeah, IKEA and the Navy have uh, growth built into a large organization of, of uh, career. They're probably, uh, there's probably a ladder. I can remember looking at a chart in the Navy and saying, well, here's what my career path looks like in the Navy. Right. I do this, then I do that, then I do this. Maybe there was a overseas tour, there was something. And you probably remember IKEA had, may have had something similar. You go from a buyer to a merchandise manager, to, you know, you know it better. Smaller companies don't enunciate the career path that well. It's like, well, we're going to do whatever needs to be done. So as people come into the organization there, at some point they're asking themselves, well, I'm ready to do more. I've learned all the skills I need to to do this job and I'm ready to do more. And if, if the company can't provide an opportunity to do the next thing, people leave. And in, in some ways they should, you know, if you're a good manager, you're encouraging them to do more you might even encourage them to leave if your company can't offer that. So I think going back to uh, a good retention strategy, if you want to keep good people, they they need to be able to step up in the organization and to do the next thing. So, yeah, they're connected there. Retaining people has something to do with growth within the organization. So I that they are connected. And I thought of it also in terms of growth being a retention strategy is that if you bring in good people, they're going to get bored if you're stagnant, if you're not growing, right? And they're going to get excited and engaged if you say, hey, you know what? We're, you know, $10 million business. I think, you know, here's how we can get to $50 million. That engages people. Absolutely. And I and in a smaller entrepreneurial company or just smaller companies, it doesn't all have to be about title. I think, you know, sometimes a bigger organization has the rungs in the career ladder are sort of as how you move your title and how the, how, where you, you move your office, you know, you move from the inner cubicle to the outer wall and then to the corner office and smaller companies don't have that, but there are other things that you creatively need to think about it that gives growth for those people to stay and feel they're growing within the company. It has to do with responsibilities and project management and maybe people management and Maybe even education, you know, uh, giving people the opportunity to continue to expand the, you know, sharpen their saw in different ways. And those, so, uh, those are all ideas of, around growth, but also that, that keep people, you know, part of the organization. And, you know, I think they're super important, can't be overlooked. Andy, if folks wanted to reach out to you one on one, where might they find you? Email is probably my best tool. So my email at, at, uh, at Ivystone's good. Uh, it's just a Bjork at ivystone.com. I think I've referred to you and me as being somewhat square pegs and round holes in the gift and home industry because, you know, maybe it's this combination of big company to entrepreneurial sized. I really enjoyed this conversation because I think there are, there's so much that big can learn from small and small can learn from big. And I think. What I have learned from small companies is just, I don't know, that, that the, I think there's real power in combining structure and agility. Thank you so much, Andy. This was a great conversation. Ben, I really enjoyed it myself. I look forward to uh, the next project we do together. Terrific. All right. Hey, uh, if folks wanted to explore other growth topics, uh, you can find me on our website, realignforresults.com, or you can just uh, email me, Benno, B-E-N-N-O, at realignforresults.com. Thanks and keep growing. 
You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.